What is up, family? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor and the author of Pre-Med Mondays. Both books available on Amazon.com so you can get a copy there. You are listening to the Black Men in White Coats podcast, a place where black male clinicians have the opportunity to share their stories. Today, we've got my friend, Dr. Steve Spencer. Steve is an emergency medicine physician practicing in West Virginia. And I say it like that because when people think about West Virginia, you don't think about too many black individuals there. And that's been Steve's experience, but he has a great outlook on it. And he has some great tidbits of information that we could all benefit from hearing. One thing in particular that caught me during this podcast is Steve talks about how up to 20% of the patients or families that he takes care of are wearing some sort of Confederate flag symbol on their clothes, your hats, or whatever it is, a tattoo. And when I heard him say that, it just made me think, how uncomfortable would I feel if one in five patients or family members had a Confederate flag that I had to care for? Well, I think Dr. Spencer has risen above the rest and does an excellent job handling it in a phenomenal way and also handling individuals who just might not want him to take care of them simply because of his skin tone. He's got some great advice, great things to say, and a great story. Remember, you can get his worksheet at blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash worksheet and have your children do it. My kid's going to be doing it. Have your kid do it. Now, without further ado, allow me to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Steve Spencer. Hi, my name is Steven Spencer. I'm an emergency physician. I work in West Virginia. I work for West Virginia University Hospitals. I work for the Department of Emergency Medicine as a part of the locum tenens program. So I work at the main hospital, which is Ruby Hospital. And I also work in several community hospitals in West Virginia that West Virginia University staffs. Um, I guess we should start by going back to when I first wanted to become a doctor. Um, when I was really young, like you're talking like five, six years old, you know, <laughs> I was really into bugs and math and science and stuff. I wanted to be like a bug doctor, believe it or not. And so that's kind of where it started. I was into math and science. And then my parents are in law, but they noticed that I was good at math and science. So they they took that and they, they saw that I like to solve problems. and I like math and science. And they said, you know, maybe you can be a doctor. And I still wasn't sure. I, th- I kind of was still on the bug thing, but I, that got it in my mind and I was thinking about it. This kind of plays into what Dale was talking about in his book. Like one of the important points he mentioned was, you know, you don't want to set out to raise a doctor if your parent and my parents did, you know, they just wanted me to be happy and successful, but they noticed what I was good at. And I guess kind of put that in my head. Then when I was nine years old, I had an allergic reaction to nuts, and it was the, the first time I had that reaction to nuts. I had to be rushed to the hospital, and then one of the doctors saw me, talked to me a little bit, said what he was going to do, gave me some medication, and then I got better. And to me, in that moment, I felt like you know it was magic when you're a child and someone tells you, I'm going to fix you with this, and they fix you, you it's, it's magical. And that's when I realized I wanted to be a doctor. You know, I, I mean, I kind of went back and forth with career ideas, but I, that kind of was always central, or at least in the back of my head. 
I went to college. I was a math major, but I was pre-med. So I, you know, took all the courses I needed to get into medical school. Then when I finished college at Virginia Tech, I went ahead and went to medical school at Meharry Medical College. I was familiar with Meharry uh, because my father's doctor actually went to Meharry. And so that's how I, I knew about that. And I knew I wanted to go either there or Howard. Uh, I ended up at Meharry. You know, med- medical school, medical schools was tough for me. You have to spend so much time focusing on studying and on just medicine. And I have so many other interests in life that kind of spending all my time on one thing was difficult. And so there was a struggle at times. Uh, I even took, you know, some time off in medical school. Um, I thought about dropping out, but, you know, thanks to the encouragement from some of my classmates, some of my closest friends, uh, and also Dean Williams, um, she's passed now, but she's an amazing woman that was at Meharry and kind of can convince me to, to keep pushing forward and let me know that there'd be a place in medicine for me. Um, and then also I, I can, you know, I always thought that I wasn't doing good. I wasn't doing good enough. And she's like, no, you're doing perfectly fine. You just got to keep up the work and keep pressing forward. You know, so I did. So I took a year off to do some things I wanted to do. Um, but then, you know, came back in after uh, step and after second year. So I kind of came back in for the clinical years of third and fourth year. My parents have kind of put in my head that I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. But when I actually started doing clinical work, I hated being in the OR, just like standing in one place bothered me. Um, and then when I kind of discovered emergency medicine, I realized that that was, that was it. That was going to be my thing. It was back to the things that originally attracted me to medicine, really back since I was a child, you know, with having the allergic reaction and having it, having it fixed. That was the, the doctor that was in my mind, what a doctor was. That was what I wanted to be. I wanted to solve problems and help people. I've always been an empathetic person and that's part of why I have a lot of other interests, but you know, that, that was the, what I saw as a doctor anyway. And then to come to find out, you know, the added benefits of, of shift work, you know, when I'm working, I'm working, when I'm off, I'm off, I'm not on call, you know, so I can feel free to do other things uh, that I'm interested in our travel. So, you know, emergency medicine just fit. And then, so, you know, I interviewed, went through the match process and wound up at West Virginia University. To be honest, it wasn't wasn't my top choice. My top choice was VCU in Richmond because Richmond is is where I'm from. West Virginia was not top; it wasn't at the bottom either. It was kind of in the middle. It interested me because the town, the college town, I felt like was similar to actually Blacksburg, Virginia, where I went to college at Virginia Tech. And you know, even though the schools are heated rivals. There's a lot of similarities, and so I thought that I could be happy here and have a place here. So that's why I ranked it and, you know, why it wasn't on the bottom of my list. And so I matched in West Virginia. I wound up here, and, you know, I'm still thinking there's a lot of stereotypes about West Virginia, especially in within the African-American community. So I had some concerns there, but I really 
flourished in in residency. I really came into my own. It was hard work, but I, I kept it up. And I improved a lot between intern year uh, and my senior residency years, and I just kept growing as a physician. And it was a great experience, and I got I got along with the other residents. The attendings liked me. Had some great experiences. And so after I finished residency, they offered me a job and I, I stayed on. And so now total, I've been at West Virginia University for over seven years. And I think that, that what's kept me here and what's made me happy here are the people. I think that the people in the program and my colleagues are great. Uh, we also have great nursing staff that we work with. Um, and so, you know, things are, things are pretty good. Some of the hardest things that I've had to deal with as an emergency physician, I mean, well, the absolute hardest thing as an emergency physician to deal with is children dying. It, it, it's terrible. Like to have a, have a child, like one time I had a two year old in an accident die. And then I had to explain, you know, to the, the parents, I had to tell the parents that, that, happen and you know to watch the the mother break down in tears those those things stick with you and um those things are going to make you make you cry you're going to cry at work you're going to come home and cry and that's that's okay that's just part of the job that's you being human but that's that's the, the hardest thing overall dying patients is always bad it's tough when Inevitably, as an emergency physician, you'll there'll be a patient that you let go home that comes back in bad shape and dies. Um, that's always bad, but children dying is and and dealing with the family that's that's the worst thing I've had to deal with. The hardest thing on a day to day basis would be dealing with consultants, just some consultants. Um, most are pretty cool and pretty reasonable. But as an emergency physician, you're calling people for, for help a lot in the middle of the night. And, you know, you're giving people work. And as an emergency physician, I know a lot about a lot of different specialties. I know a lot uh, about emergent conditions and different specialties. But whoever I'm calling, they know more about that particular specialty than I do. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, shot calling about whatever workup I've done. They say, well, could, you could have done this or done that. And it's, it's kind of easy for them to say after the fact when they've been at home asleep and haven't been dealing with this particular patient and multiple other ones. <laughs> um, but, you know, most, most consultants are pretty nice, but inevitably, uh, every day there's going to be, they'll have some kind of argument with a consultant or one that's a little bit difficult and maybe not agreeable with a patient that I want to admit. And they, don't want to admit the patient. So it's like the hardest day-to-day -day thing for me. Some of the best things about being an emergency physician, like I said, when I was applying, when I was thinking about it, is the shift work. Me and my wife travel a lot. That's possible because I work in shift. That's when I work, I work. When I'm off, I'm off. And I don't have to worry about being on call. Um, it's a great thing to have uh, as far as my lifestyle. And the absolute best thing about working in emergency physician is when you like definitively save a life, like yourself. Like I do something 
that saves a patient's life. That's very, very cool and very rewarding. Uh, I remember one time when I was a resident, there was a patient I wanted to admit. Something about a 55-year-old female patient with abdominal pain. And I just, I knew something was wrong. Like, the patient wasn't getting better. And I just knew something was off. And no one, not the not the nurses, not my attending, no one wanted this patient to be admitted. They all thought she, you know, she was full of it, whatever. But I was, I had talked extensively to her and the family, and I just knew something was off. So I kind of just, you know, dug my feet in the sand and forced the issue on everyone, including including my attending. Um, so I, I got the patient admitted to the medicine service after some argument. And within two hours of the admission, the patient starts vomiting blood and crashes uh, and winds up in the ICU. And had that happened at home, you know, she would have died. So, you know, I'm, that made me very happy that my hard work and persistence paid off and I saved the patient's life. There's been other patients where, you know, I've, I've diagnosed things and, and saved their life as well and and that's always a great feeling as far as how race has played into my uh, time here in West Virginia and my practice um, it's come up a few times for the most part most people are very nice and they don't really talk about or bring up race much here West Virginia of course is pretty racially homogenous like it's very very white it's about 95% white patient population, and I'm the only African-American uh, working on in WU's emergency department as a staff. But in general, most people, patients are are fine. They're all, all very nice and polite and easy to deal with. Um, a few times, especially over the past few years, I think about three times, I've had a patient, you know, refuse care because I'm black. I think that will probably happen anywhere. They explained at Meharry that that was something that would be inevitably happen. And, you know, that's difficult. Uh, the few times it's, it's happened, you know, the patient pretty much just has to leave. So well, if they, they come, they'll come in and demand a white doctor. Generally, especially in the community facilities, I'm the only doctor there anyway. But even if I'm not, it's against the Civil Rights Act to segregate your department for a patient is it against the civil rights act to essentially steer you know white patients that want to be treated by a white doctor to a white doctor um that's in public or private institution i had a a legal question about that i went to my uh supervisors and bosses and and i said you know imtala says imtala is the emergency medical treatment and labor act and that says that you have to offer every patient that comes to the ER a medical screening exam. You have to offer them medical treatment. But then the Civil Rights Act says, you know, you can't segregate or steer. And they're like, yeah, you know, if if you you can offer them a medical evaluation, if they refuse because you're black, then that's on them, and they just have to go, you know. Um, and so it, it felt good that I had my... Uh, bosses and colleagues that they had my back on that issue. You know, as far as patients, you know, saying racist things, there, there'll be like a few 
small microaggressions here or there. Um, it's pretty rare. I had one, you know, drunk neo-Nazi guy come in uh, at one of the community facilities, um, you know, saying some pretty horrible things. And it, it feels a little embarrassing when you're a black person there and there's a staff um, looking at the situation. But I felt like people had my back in that moment. So, you know, those those things come up. Also, the the politics of West Virginia, especially small town West Virginia and some of the places I work, it's, uh you know, doesn't really align with myself or a lot of educated African-Americans. You know, I, I about one fifth of my patients at United Hospital Center generally have a Confederate flag on or, you know, a Confederate flag on one of the family members or in the room somewhere. I say one fifth because I actually counted one time as a room when I was a resident. But, you know, a lot of times those people are, are very, very nice and they let me treat them. And when they let me treat them, then, you know, I, I treat them as best I possibly can. I, you know, I try to go above and beyond the standard of care for those people, just like I would anyone else. And, you know, I, I just think by doing that, you know, I set an example at least as, a positive and intelligent black character that they see in their lives. And I think that hopefully that, that means something, you know, I think they just have different, a lot of times they just have different interpretations of history and a different worldview. Um, but there's, there's still people, they're still human beings and they still deserve great care. That's what I try to do. Another, thing I'm involved in as a staff now with West Virginia University and as a faculty in the Department of Emergency Medicine, I'm in charge of recruiting individuals underrepresented in medicine. So I'm in charge of recruiting minorities and women. And so I visit HBCUs and speak and go to residency fairs to try to recruit more minorities to our department and to the residency program. And, you know, it gets difficult. Like I said, there's a lot of stereotypes that African-Americans have about West Virginia. I just try to show people that I'm here and that I've had success and that's possible for them. And that I hope they come at least try to visit for an away rotation. Uh, if not, you know, apply for the residency program and try to enter, enter in the match and match here. That's coming along. We have had an increase in applicants since we started the program and we've also had multiple away rotators from HBCUs. So we're seeing some signs that will there'll be improvement but still haven't had uh an African American resident since since I graduated but we're working on it. Yeah, that's me. That's kind of my story. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity to, to speak and tell my story. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Spencer. Amazing story, and I'm grateful you took the time to do that, and I know that our listeners are grateful that you took the time to do that as well. Now, to the students listening, there's one thing I want to highlight that Dr. Spencer talked about, and that's the fact that he was able to take a step back. So he mentioned when he was in medical school, things got difficult, his confidence was coming down, it wasn't quite going the way he would have liked it to go. So what did he do? Instead of quitting, he just took a step back. It's kind of like in a basketball game, right? You're down a couple points. And you don't just say, hey, it's over. I'm going to the locker room. You say, time out. Let's go to the bench. Let's get some water. 
let's re-strategize, let's get back in the game and go full steam ahead. And that's exactly what Dr. Spencer did. And look how it paid off for him in his life. Now he's an emergency medicine physician doing what he wants, doing what he loves to do, really enjoying it, gets the type of lifestyle he likes, he gets to travel and gets to, you know, go out with his wife, he gets to go to college campuses, all sorts of great things came simply because he realized he could take a step back. The other important thing I want to highlight is, you know, Dr. Spencer talked about these people who poured into his life and gave him that encouragement that he needed when he was going through a rough spot. So for the parents, for the educators, you know, for the physicians who are listening to this, be that individual who can encourage somebody else, who can pour into somebody else's life, let them know that, hey, you've got what it takes, you can make this. You know, you can do it. Be that individual. Help somebody the same way people helped Dr. Spencer, right? So again, Dr. Spencer, thank you so very much. Parents, students, educators, remember you can find the worksheet for this episode at www.blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash worksheets. And a special shout out to Mr. Demario Malone. He's a pre-medical student at the University of Missouri, and he makes these worksheets for you all. So thank you, Demario, for contributing to success of all these individuals who are listening to this podcast. Subscribe, Google, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is you listen to, just click that subscribe button. We really appreciate it. And share, you know, share this on Facebook, Twitter. The whole idea is to get as many stories out as possible so those coming behind us, the next generation, can hear these stories and they can know what it's like. They can know what the journey is like before they get there. It's vicarious learning. So it's mentoring through these podcasts. That's what we're doing. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, pre-medical students, if you have any questions, you know where I'm at, premedstar.com. Just send me a message, and I'm always happy to answer your questions. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.